This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey everybody, you're listening to a podcast and that means it's time to listen to an advertisement for Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They help you showcase your work, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, promote your physical or online business, and more. They do this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. These are such beautiful templates. I love to look at them. And uh, they let you customize look and feel settings and all this other stuff just with a few clicks. Everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box. It's the website that makes it really easy to make websites. They also have 24-7 award-winning customer support in case you break something. So if you have a great idea that you would like to make a website out of, go to squarespace.com overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com overdue for a free trial. Use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace, make a website. podcast with the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew and this is the egg cast for eggs eggs i love the book eggs by jerry spinelli from my head down to my legs and i believe that is a quote from the new york times review of the book <laughs> eggs <laughs> is that i'm not i'm not gonna no i made that, that up okay, no cool. that's an old ad if about i oh i have eggs. some egg on my face for believing you that it you was do, real yeah mm-hmm Welcome to our book podcast, where each week one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it, and you, the listener, listen along. Uh, exactly. Eggs. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, the something's flying fast. What? I, my brain scrambled at the beginning of this podcast <laughs> about the book eggs. Well, you sound like you're having an existential crisis over there. That's no yoke. So this was a Patreon recommendation from Samantha. Thank you, mm-hmm. Samantha. Go to patreon.com slash pod for more information on that. Uh, Samantha said, uh, this was one of a couple possibilities that Samantha gave us, and uh, they said, Eggs by Jerry Spinelli is a really weird book that I loved as a child. It's an easy, quick read, and I'd love to hear you guys discuss it. It isn't a children's book, more young adult. I debated asking you to read my current favorites, but I think I'd enjoy the discussion surrounding this book. I think you guys would... Also have fun reading and discussing it together, and I think that's what makes your podcast great. You both clearly enjoy doing it. Welcome to the fan mail part of the podcast. Um, Megan on our Facebook page also said about the book Eggs, I remember reading this book after having uncovered it at a yard sale somewhere, and I love it so much it holds a special place in my heart. For some reason, I didn't think anyone else had ever read it or would read it. (laughs) The book just (laughs) seemed to appear. Anyways, I look forward to listening to this episode. I'm really uh, glad that all these listeners are coming out of their shells. All these eggs. I really heads. think we've I think we've cracked it. Yeah. For this episode about the book Eggs by Jerry Spinelli. Mm-hmm. Do you know I feel like books the titles should be about what they're actually about, you know? Is that a problem here? So like the book Eggs is not I mean there are eggs mentioned in it, but it's not about eggs, you know? Like Tree Grows in Brooklyn, yeah, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, that's the book. Yeah. Um, hunger Games. What other? There, there's the hunger people games. are hungry yeah, there's and there games are games. People are hungry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, well, Fifty Shades of Grey. That man is like one shade, and it's bad. Like I well, think that one's a little off. But in the eye of the narrator, of the in the eye of the beholder, there are fifty shades to him. So what you're telling me is that the eye of this book's protagonist does not just look around the world and see everyone as eggs. I mean, he does sometimes see things like sunsets. And describe them as looking like painted eggs. Huh. Now but we're getting somewhere. Sometimes sometimes that happens and you're like, man, you, d- you just kind of did that because you already had called your book eggs <laughs> and now you need, it to, <laughs> you need to come up with some more egg stuff. The tagline for the book is friendship isn't always sunny side up. So I think they knew what they were doing. Ooh. Jerry Spinelli, you, you devil. Let's, you devil you. Let's talk about Jerry real quick. He's you born. De- you deviled egg. In 1940, he's a real peppery character. Born in mm. 1941. I'm just going for the over easy joke on this one. This intro is really runny long. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born in 1941. He grew up in Norristown, Pennsylvania, not far from where I grew up. 
and he attended Gettysburg College, went to John Hopkins University, uh, and he won did a new Johns Hopkins University, or did he go to John Hopkins <laughs> University? <laughs> I think he was probably Johns Hopkins. Good call. Okay. He won a Newberry in 1990 with the book Maniac McGee. Uh, mm-hmm. about a kid with a bunch of really cool athletic talents who does have a real tough go of it and the books about like tough themes of uh homelessness and segregation and that I I think I've said this before on the pod I remember reading that book as a kid and or watching the movie adaptation that I think had aired on Nickelodeon at one point um cuz it does take place in a bunch of like towns right around where I'm from so that was always fun to know about Mr. Spinelli yeah, Eggs is also sort of neared Philadelphia. Like it comes up tangentially in the in cool. the book. Okay. Um I always get Maniac McGee confused with McGee and Me, which is a <laughs> different very short, very short lived cartoon series that existed to teach kids good Christian values. Yeah, well. Yeah. Different thing. No maniacs. Uh-huh. Or well, ten thousand of them, perhaps. McGee was like an animated like familiar for a, a real life like a real world kid so i mean pretty maniacal. a little bit of yeah that's pretty maniacal i think yeah. uh jerry said in a 2008 interview with the washington post uh, when he was in 11th grade his love of sports led to his first published work a poem about a football victory that appeared in his hometown newspaper it was submitted without his knowledge by his father who knew the paper sports editor uh and spinelli Dad. said <laughs> Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> it dawned on me that I probably was not going to be a major league baseball player. Instead, I decided to become a writer. Nobody told me how hard that was going to be. Uh, after he went to college, he was like, at, he was working in different magazines. He was a magazine uh, editor for like some design engineering magazine. He wrote for a department store magazine about menswear. And he says in a bunch of interviews that he wanted a writing gig that left his brain like free to write fiction in his spare time. Sure. Um, yeah, you don't want one where that's you're kind of doing that anyway, because then those muscles are all worked out by the time you want to sit down and write your egg book. Yes. Um, he His wife is also an author, I think, of children's books as well, has done some illustrations. Um, and so he talks a lot about how you know the two of them and their six kids, which is a lot of kids, um would yeah yeah i mean i have one which is fewer than six and six seems like a lot uh and he says based on one just extrapolating (laughs) out from why i made a note i wanted to get your thoughts on that Um, uh eventually though i mean once they get old enough they just kind of you build kind of a perpetual motion machine and the older kids can help with the younger ones and maybe that defrays some of the effort but like lemmings right they just like kind Mm -hmm. of walk around in a circle together doing their own thing Mm mm-hmm um he was asked in a a number of interviews like did you write all your books that you wrote about like kids going on adventures like about your own kids and he says no it was like the process of having kids made him very uh not nostalgic for but it brought up a lot of memories of his own childhood and like gave him a lot of stuff to like oh i remember when that happened to me i'm gonna write a book about that I imagine you see your own kids learning stuff and doing stuff and and it gives you some idea of of what about that experience can be universal like the kind of things that you and your kids separated by multiple decades and like a different cultural context like you still have some of those same moments cuz that just happens to a lot of kids. Yep, yep. Yeah. His first uh published book, he was like 40 years old, never too late. Uh, Space Station 7th Grade, which was uh, meant to be an adult novel, but then he veered it into YA. Uh, And then he also received a Newbery Honor Mention for Ringer, a 1997 book about a kid who doesn't want to kill pigeons in the town's annual pigeon-killing festival. Jerry Spinelli, (laughs) what's up? I think I've seen that Simpsons episode. Yeah, his job is to go around and snap the necks of the pigeons that don't get shot in the pigeon shooting festival. Um, and that's a moving what? book uh, that he wrote, apparently. I bet. I You wouldn't want to let the population run rampant because pigeons are just kind of above ground rats that aren't scared enough of people. Yeah, man. Yeah, they're not scared of trucks either. They're just like mm. living their lives. They don't care about vehicles. 
They are a vehicle. They're pigeons. Anyway. A vehicle for disease, though. (laughs) All right. Um, And Mr. Spinelli, uh, on his website, he has a little bio where he talks about, like, originally he was a kid. He wanted to be a cowboy, and then he wanted to be a baseball player, and then he wanted to become a writer. And he's not sure if he would define himself by his writing alone. Quote, there are so many other things I do. I pick berries and touch ponies and skim flat stones over water and marvel at the stars and breathe deeply and grin from ear to ear and save the best part till last. Call me a writer if you like, or a grandpa, or a berry-picking, pony-touching star marveler. And I just love this <laughs> man so much. I was going to say, like, no, none of those things are occupations, though. Well, that's, yeah, but he doesn't want to be defined by his occupation, is what that's, he's saying. That's fine, but I don't think people assume that when they call you a writer that that's the only thing that you do in the whole world. Mm. It doesn't preclude pony-touching. doesn't, and he wants you to know that. That's what Spinelli's out here to do. He doesn't want to put all of his eggs into one basket, is what I'm hearing you say. That is what I'm hearing and saying. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, what else to talk about? That's pretty much it. I did look up on the Scholastic webpage. It suggested a few other books that I might enjoy because I was looking at Eggs by Jerry Spinelli. Mm-hmm. Um, 101 Fast Funny Food Jokes. Mal and Chad Food Fight. And then a book just called Hopes and Screams, which is a great name for a book. I don't know how it's related, but Hopes and Screams screams. is an amazing name for a book. Uh, (laughs) Sounds like a Goosebumps book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did pull together some, like, reader reviews and stuff, but I want to make sure we get into the book first before I start, like, tossing those at you. Sure. Um, Anything else background-wise before we take a break? No, I don't think so. Okay. Let's take a break. All right. You know what I've always said about acorns is they are like tree eggs. That's true. You know what's like an acorn? Acorn TV. There's lots of entertainment options out there, Andrew. And by that, I mean there's a lot of compelling international shows you may be missing out on. It's time to burst out of the domestic TV bubble and check out Acorn TV, which is one of our sponsors this week. It's a commercial-free streaming service that's rooted in British television. It's home to sophisticated and artful storytelling with top-rated mysteries, addicting dramas, and heartfelt comedies, plus a lot more. And it isn't just British, Andrew. Can you believe well, it? Well, by Jove, governor. It's got stuff from Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and beyond. If you're a fan of quirky British comedy, you can check out the other one. Uh, I always find plenty of stuff to watch on Acorn. I was actually browsing their uh, catalog recently. There's stuff like Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which I know Laura really likes. There's a whole Core bunch bl- of... Core Blimey. Uh, there's a whole bunch of Agatha Christie, if folks want even more mysteries. There's the entire run of Slings and Arrows, which I saw as well. That's a a good show. Uh, And there's the 2002 adaptation of Zadie Smith's White Teeth, which we read for the podcast a little while ago. So there's plenty of stuff, including movies and more, on Acorn TV for just $5.99 a month. So, Andrew, escape to Britain and beyond without leaving your seat. Try Acorn TV for free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use the promo code OVERDUE. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV, code OVERDUE, to get your first 30 days for free. All right, Andrew, you told me that this book is called Eggs, but it's about something else. What's it about? Um, It's about a young boy and a young girl who both have pain, and they come together, and they find something that they need in each other and it's heartwarming and it's short and those are the main things about it okay would you Mm -hmm. like to tell me more because (laughs) i would like to know more who is the boy who is the girl what's their pain all right let's break a few eggs to make this podcast david is a nine-year-old boy who is living in the I keep, I think it's the suburbs or exurbs of Philadelphia. The I'm not exurbs. sure how the <laughs> nice. Um he is close enough to Philadelphia that you could walk there on train tracks if you took several days to do it. Okay, good. Um 
But yeah, he used to live in Minnesota, and then his mom died in a very mundane sort of accident. Like there, there was a there there was a floor that was wet, and she slipped on the wet floor, and oh. she banged her head in a very specific way, and then she died. And is that that's not like part of the action of the book, but it has happened and is described? Or it's something? not. Yeah. yeah, it's it's described. It's not part of the action of the book, but it is. It does. It is everything that you need to know to understand David's particular neuroses. So he has moved to the exurbs of Philadelphia with his dad, who manages a mall in Connecticut. It's not clear why he would do this, except he can't be very present in his son's life or the rest of the book wouldn't work. So he does that. He's only around on weekends. And then David, like day to day, lives with his grandmother, who he used to love but now is relentlessly horrible too because he sees her as like trying to take the place of his mother and nobody can do that. Okay. And so he, because of the way his mom died, like because of a rule that somebody didn't follow, he is very, he's a big stickler about obeying rules, including like traffic and littering laws and just like every other, every little thing. Um, Because he does, he does as a nine year old, he does harbor this, irrational but deep-seated belief that he does if he does enough things right then that will like correct some imbalance in the cosmos and it will bring his mom back to him yeah that yeah sure but that doesn't apply to his grandmother who he is always uh walking out on and ignoring she because he is a nine-year-old who has suffered trauma cannot find it in herself to set firm boundaries for him so he is always testing her and pushing them and that leads to a sort of situation where he is always kind of out and about but with no parents wondering where he is which i feel like is a key in a lot of stories that feature um older kids or like tweens or teens kind of coming of age or or having adolescent experiences you gotta have non-present parents somehow (laughs) or like or like authority figures that can be circumvented in some way you know yeah that seems to be a like a hallmark of Spinelli's work like kids away from parents and but in yeah in general a lot of the kid adventure stories and maybe not even adventure is maybe the wrong word but like they can't do what they do if it's just their normal quote-unquote normal um, you know, parent relationship where they are just like, hey, I go to school and then I come home and then what, you know. There, yeah, and there, there are stories that are told in that, in that yes, template they just too. But yeah. but yeah, but th- this particular type of like self-realization, um, like epiphany-driven growth sort of story is, is often told in the absence of, of parents or like the parents are present and well-meaning but can't, get through the like youthful angst of the protagonist. I think that the book that comes to mind the most readily, if I'm trying to define this particular vein of YA fiction is probably bridge to Terabithia, which oh, we yeah. did mm-hmm. uh, for episode 254. Yep. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, that like the, the parents are around, but I think um they are they are not super present and on one for one of the kids i think they are either like mostly absent or a little abusive or something yeah and, and um, so a lot of the the scrapes that you get into and the investment you make in whatever the like key friendship of the book is becomes important because of the lack of a parent relationship you know for lack of a better word on screen yeah yeah well I, I, and i also think like lest i paint with too broad a brush i guess i wouldn't want to egg wash this kind of narrative too much but i do uh, a lot of these authors are a little bit older and i think they have memories of a like not dysfunctional or unhappy but largely unsupervised childhood where you just kind of <laughs> rode your bike around the development where you live yeah uh-huh. <laughs> and you met other kids it's, it's a very spielbergian sort of like yeah, we're just out and nobody knows where we are. Yeah, but like because the, it's the '80s or whatever, like nobody, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fine. Like the middle of every Stranger Things season, where it's just the kids are somewhere for some reason, nary an adult in sight. 
Um, yeah, though I think for season four, all those kids are going to be like 27 now, <laughs> by right? By the time they make that season, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, okay, so that's David. What mm-hmm. brings him in contact with the other character you mentioned? Uh, so they, uh, his grandmother has driven him sort of against his will. Um, this was all his life had been since April 29th of last year, a ride somewhere he did not want to go. Uh, they're driving to an Easter egg hunt. And David, like there, there are some bigger kids and they are, David as a nine year old does recognize them as capital B, capital K, big kids. Oh yeah. And you know what, you knew what big kids were like when you were a little kid. Man, the big kids are around. Even though they were only like a year or two older than you, that made a lot of difference uh-huh. Uh-huh. at a certain part of your life. Um. But yeah, like big, there is a, it's a Easter egg hunt. Like you run down a hill and then there are some woods and there are a bunch of eggs hidden in there. Um, and so they're like <laughs> the, the moment that really crystallizes David's rule following is you are supposed to wait for like a signal to start running down the hill and go get the eggs. And because the big kids are all very rowdy and ornery, they start running and then everybody else starts running because that's how kids are. Except David is standing at the top of the hill by himself waiting for the signal. And the guy like basically points the bullhorn at him and is like, hey, you just go. Just go get the eggs. But as David is hunting for eggs, he's not being very successful because he's gotten there late and he's a little shrimpy. He stumbles upon this girl's like body in the woods and she's got like an egg like in her mouth, I think, but she's lying very still and he doesn't know what the deal with her is. He thinks probably she's dead, but because she's inert and not moving and not responding to him, she, he, he like shares some things with her about like, Oh, I, I used to live in Minnesota and my mom is dead. And I have this like keepsake of hers that I don't like. He opens up to her in a way that he doesn't open up to anybody else in his life because he thinks, thinks that, that nobody's she's listening. not a person. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. Um, and then he leaves and then he's kind of obsessed with this. Like he figures that in the newspaper the next day, there are going to be all these stories about, this body that the police found. Oh man. And the, like that doesn't happen. And he goes back and like, nothing is there. And, uh, he just kind of lives his life for a little bit. And then he is, uh, in a library, like his grandmother, I think is doing like a, a story reading thing at the library. Like you, like you do for a group of younger kids. Yeah. And, um, maybe reading a Jerry Spinelli book, perhaps, you know, perhaps a Jerry Spinelli, uh, a Judy Bloom. The kids in this were a little bit younger than that. Um, they're reading what's that that uh, sort of fable about um, the guy in a steam shovel and oh Mike Mulligan like that... Mike Mulligan steam shovel yeah Mike that Mulligan steam, steam shovel yeah that's the that is one of the books that is being read and that's one that has particular importance to David because it's one his mom used to read him David me so too. he's telling himself the whole time like if she reads Mike Mulligan's seam oh shovel I'm getting up and I'm leaving I love will not David do this. so much um, you can't he you sees, can't sing my mom's song it's not allowed grandma <laughs> and he sees in the in the back of this room uh, apparently asleep this girl who he saw in the woods and she recognizes his voice, um, and they start to get to know each other. Her name's Primrose, and she, her, her dad is not around. We never really learn what his deal was. She has uh, what she says is a picture of him that she shows David and references frequently. But um, she's yeah, she's got a mom who's like a kind of spacey fortune teller sort of character, but she's she is. As present as you can be, or or rather, she is as unpresent as you can be without like child protective services com- becoming involved. Okay, um, she's a very spacey fortune teller, and like because of, I think her own innate spaciness plus like it's just like a personality mismatch. Primrose has decided that she is going to live in like a hollowed out van in the yard of their house. Okay. Um, that people that people frequently throw eggs at because she is kind of an outcast. Okay. Okay. I guess, and we and we never see 
the egg throwers and we never learn exactly why they're throwing the eggs and why they're there all the time. Did that leave you a little broken up? I you Did know, you ever crack trying to solve this mystery? <laughs> if I was going to make a movie of the book Eggs, I would feature Benedict Cumberbatch. Why? Oh, God. Because then you could make the poster, you just make the fonts be like, Eggs, Benedict, Cumberbatch. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, she lives in a van down by the river? Or... <laughs> I don't know if a river is nearby, but she does live in a man. Anyway, they become they become friends because they have mutual pain, but they fight all the time. Just like all the time. This gets to a thing that did come up in a couple of the Goodreads reviews that I found. Three star wait, Goodreads wait, is this reviews. Three star Goodreads reviews. Uh, Maria said it was an okay read. It's basically about the loss of a parent, strange friendships coming around in, lo- in living life. The main character is just mean. His friendship with Primrose is not the nicest. Honestly, I didn't like either character because of their awful behavior, which I think took away from the story. Sorry, Jerry Spinelli. I do love most of your work, but this one could have been much better. <laughs> Maria pulling no punches in this review. Sorry, Jerry Spinelli, if you're reading this. Uh, did we say that no this, use crying over broken eggs? Did we say this book was published in two thousand seven? Seven. So it's yes. more recent, and there's pl- you know plenty of time for folks to come to this with the weight of the Spinelli canon on their expectations and shoulders, I suppose. So Maria was not Maria did not care seem to care for David and Primrose. What's their deal, Andrew? They just fight all the time. So they. They are constantly arguing about just like little things and mostly acting like they don't like each other. And he is nine and she is 13. So that is a, huh? I feel like that's a particularly thorny age gap to sort of hop over. Yes, that is, those are what, that's a gap. That's a gap. And there's, and I'm, there was never any hint of like any romantic anything like we are not supposed to believe that of of either of these sure, kids sure the closest we get to any kind of like familial sort of feeling is uh primrose like pretends to be his mother once like not especially successfully but like he, she knows that he has mom stuff and he knows that she has dad stuff and they just like needle each other about stuff kind of a, a lot. So they, um, David starts to like rebelling against his grandmother and sort of impressed by her complete disregard of any and all rules. Oh boy. Starts hanging out with her and they start like, she is, she's trying to like decorate and paint this like van so, because it's her room and she wants it to be more homey. So she's trying to earn money doing like odd jobs. And one thing that she does regularly is on trash night, which I believe is Thursdays, uh, she will go around to everybody's trash and she will grab stuff that is salvageable and she will like pawn it or, or sell it to a salvage person. They sell a lot of this stuff to a neighbor of Primrose's whose name is Refrigerator John. That rules. <laughs> and he is named Refrigerator John because he helps like repurpose and, and salvage things, but also because his house is sort of a ramshackle collection of repurposed things. Man, what a good archetype for... Is he a safe adult in this book? Like, there's he no. Is a, he is a safe adult, and okay. I was gonna say I do. In I do like that he is a. We don't know exactly how old he is. If I had to, if I had to peg him as a as an age, I would say somewhere between like late thirties and early fifties. Like that's that's how vague it is. Okay, but he is he is vaguely fatherly, never threatening, and happy to let these kids hang out in his house all the time without it being weird. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's and like, I think, I, I think I feel like Spinelli's got to know, man, I can't do anything that would make this even a little bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like so, even, even to the, to the extent that he doesn't really physically describe either of the kids all that much, except that Primrose has kind of long hair that, uh, David, 
braids like as a it's it's like a closeness thing but also just as a de-stressing sort of exercise that they sit in refrigerator john's house and watch tv but yeah you could not have this character of refrigerator john like near them and and say anything about primrose as an adolescent girl and have it not be creepy so it, it it walks a line and you think successfully, you, it, successfully, I don't. I don't know that the yeah. line needed to be walked, but it is. It is walked fine. Well, and it here, sounds like it sounds like he is. Does he have a pre-existing relationship with Primrose before David shows up? Yeah, but I mean, as as like a salvage okay. guy, like she she knows him and they're pals already. Because for me, the 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 like touchstone for where the those types of characters show up is like the creepy old neighbor from Home Alone who turns out to be like the hero and like, he's not so bad. And it's about like learning that people have painful stories that make them a little scary, but actually they're not, they're just like you. And this, I mean, he's, he's never presented as scary. No, but, this is a different, this sure. is a different thing yeah. is what I'm kind of saying. It's like, oh, okay, I would okay. have expected coming into this book that we'd get one of those arcs about refrigerator, John, but no, it sounds like he's a stand up dude, like a refrigerator. He's a fine dude. Yes. He's he, yes. He's as solid and as, <laughs> cold as a refrigerator <laughs> okay so they're hanging out the refrigerator- kind of kind of fridge that you could really put some eggs in mm, mm-hmm. is he crisp does he have a drawer uh he can be crisp but nobody really knows crisper drawers are fake right they don't do- what do crisper they- drawers don't do anything what right? do they do you can't convince me that a crisper drawer does anything and they got those they've got those like the humidity the, controls? The, yeah, like they got the slider that you what can... Are the like, what is that mean? supposed to do? Put numbers <laughs> on a plastic drawer like I'm supposed to know what it does. <laughs> and does it make things more or less crisp? I don't even know what changing the settings I put do. the cucumbers in either drawer. They're the same. <laughs> I let the lettuce Man. stay in, in either drawer for too long until I forget about it. It, it dies the same time. We just leave, we live our lives under the thumb of big refrigerator, like thinking that these crisper drawers do stuff. Just give me more shelves, man. I could put or beers down there. Or just don't pretend like you don't pre- don't pretend that your drawers are something special. That's it's a lesson drawers. for all of us. Don't pretend that your drawers are anything special. Yeah, it's just drawers. So Oof. what happens next, Andrew? Eggs. Does something happen next? The uh, the other thing I I I found there was a review. Um, that was positive from Fiona, who said, um, I loved eggs, loved, loved, loved it for its injured soul and complicated characters and simple imagery. I can see why many readers would, were put off by it and why it's viewed as one of his minor novels. There's a darkness and coarseness to the book. Its characters are often unpleasant, which we've talked about, and there's no riveting plot or easily summed up moral. So, like... It, it doesn't even sound like there's a like we gotta prep for the big egg game or like what are we are we working towards something or is this kind of just like a slice of life they're hanging out? It's kind of a slice of life. So they they um this is, so this is the thing from Refrigerator John that sort of gets to their relationship. You do get a few um so you get kind of different POV chapters where it's never like first person um but. We're over this you person's shift, shoulder. Yeah, you yeah. do shift how close you are to various third person's perspectives. Okay. Throughout the book. So you get a lot from David. You get some from Primrose. And I think actually essentially you get some from Refrigerator John. And I say essentially because I think it is important to see how a sort of knowing adult understands these kids and how they are dealing with their trauma. And like obvious even though they are unpleasant to each other and unpleasant to be around like they do actually care about each other and like being in the being in the head of an adult who realizes that makes them slightly less it it, it does not like one of the questions i have is not why do these kids hang out with each other because they obviously hate each other like i I know that there is some affection there that they're just afraid to show because They've both got a lot of pain, and one of them's a teenager, and teenagers don't like anybody, and you know what I mean? This sounds like something we talked about when we were reading Llama Llama books to each other, which is that, like, really good, like, kids' kids' books can be about, like, honoring 
emotions that kids feel and like naming emotions and like giving kids a vocabulary for the ways that they feel and, and validating it. And this seems like kind of like a few years older version of that where like, yeah, if you're a nine or 10 year old and you're reading this book and you're like, yeah, something bad happened to me and it does make me mad and act out and I'm kind of crappy to my friends. And then to also have an adult perspective in that book to be, to be like, yeah, these kids are okay. That to me is Spinelli like telling a younger reader like, hey, there are adults who get you. Like there are, you know, there are adults that will understand that you're not a bad kid just because you're acting out, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're going through something. Yeah. So Refrigerator John says both were touchy, ready to squawk over nothing. They constantly crabbed at each other. Yet at the same time, he might be braiding her hair or she might be making him lunch. Half the time, they left John's place snarling, yet the next day, there they were, together, knocking on his door. And so he did not take their squabbling seriously. He laughed as there was no depth to their attacks. They were throwing stones, yes, but they were skipping them across the surface of each other's water. Flat and sharp-edged, the stones stung only for a moment, then sailed off. But as summer droned on, he began to notice that some stones became heavier, became rocks, were dropped rather than skipped, were allowed to sink. One day in late July, a rock hit bottom. Oh, no. And so that that sounds very dramatic. <laughs> I will say the one weakness of of eggs, like if if you were, if if the book eggs were a carton of eggs and you opened it up to check it and one egg was cracked, yeah, the cracked egg would be that there is no real like solid like a narrative payoff moment or like narrative peak. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what it sounded like, like. Yeah. Like this, this moment that refrigerator John is referring to or fridge Joe to his friends, <laughs> <laughs> um, is that, uh, David, like they would sometimes speculate about where Primrose's dad was or what he was doing. And David like implies that he's a clown or something that they see on TV, and that makes them really, really up like upset at each other and like physically le- leads to a physical altercation mm. between the two of them. Mm. Um, and then from there, while they're already kind of in a in a position to be unhappy with each other, like John has them go hunt for like night crawlers, and that turns into a fight. And then there is this. Like there's this thing at the local library for um, it's themed to be like scary, even though it's July or August. So I don't know if it's just really (laughs) early Halloween or what. But this is the thing where Primrose like David doesn't want to go with his grandmother because he's mean to her all the time. Primrose doesn't want to go with her mom because she's a space cadet. Yeah. And so Primrose pretends to be David's mom and they get into a big, big fight there and then just like don't hang out for a couple weeks. But then they do hang out after that. (laughs) Okay. And there's no moment where either of them like talks with each other about it or like. Which feels like a fixes could, the relationship. I don't know. Like, it could be a yeah. real true to life thing, but inside of a story, it can feel like a weakness and a yeah. Glossing it just over. feels kind. Of, it feels kind of inert. Like it, there is, there are things being kind of learned gradually, but these are big character beats that aren't sure aren't played up enough. I think sure, sure. And so, like after the after this big fight, like two weeks pass, and then Primrose shows up and she is like, Hey, follow, come with me. Let's go hang out. We're going to Philadelphia. Get some cheesesteaks and some hoagies. Yeah. Like I won't even go it's down not to pass young. It doesn't even end up being that important or interesting why they're going to Philadelphia. So I won't even get into it because it just is going to take too much time to describe for too little payoff. <laughs> okay. But they are going to Philadelphia and it's going to take literal days yeah. because it is miles and miles of walking like along train tracks. Um, take the R5 into the city, you know. They they don't bring enough food. And so they stop to spend the night in some bushes because if they're in the bushes, people like the vagrants who wander the tracks at night won't get them. That makes sense. Checks out. And what happens is... 
we learned through Primrose that nobody ever read her like a bedtime story mm. to go to sleep. And so that's why she was at that book reading event in the first place where okay. she and David met. Uh, David's thing is his mom told him that they were going to they were going to get up really early and see the sunrise. And so he never wants to like he, he is out at all hours with Primrose, but he never wants to see the sunrise because it's something he was supposed to do with his mom. Okay. And so what happens is on this trip, they have dug some like Betty and Veronica double digest out of the trash and he reads it to her and she falls asleep. And then he even starts making up stories to, to tell her while she falls asleep. So she gets her bedtime stories. And then very early in the morning, she grabs him and runs him to like a, a bridge and they watch the sunset. And that's, cute. that's the moment. That's the moment where they like give each other what they're missing yeah. and like help each other get over some of the things that they have been uh, suffering through. And then the police find them and drive them back <laughs> to their the suburbs and everybody is happy. And David's dad no longer has to be at the mall in Connecticut over all the time. And he patches everything up with his grandma and everything's great at the end. Okay. Kind of a non-ending ending. You found it a non-ending ending. Because we don't even really, like, Primrose's relationship with her mother just kind of gets better. Like, she just announces that she's moving from the hollowed out van <laughs> back into the house. But we don't get to, we don't get to see that. Mm. And the thing where David's dad is just like, hey, I made a choice where I have to go manage a mall in Connecticut all week. But now I've decided because my kid briefly ran away that my entire economic situation has changed and I'm just going to be around. I'm going to decide to be around more. And we don't dig into anything about why he might've felt that not being around was a viable option for him before. (laughs) Or like we don't get an, we don't get an impression of any kind of like economic desperation that would have necessitated that he take this job it just it all feels like you want the alternate perspective book yokes which is just about the adults in this book i don't even necessarily want yokes i just want this book to be a little better than sure it sounds like i want it to be i want it to be cooked is this book still (laughs) running It sounds like what he's going for. This book's for, a little soft-boiled, but, and I but needed it, it to be hard-boiled. It does seem to have disappointed you and other readers, is it's like the ending for Spinelli here was like, oh, and the characters decide to treat the people they were pushing away better, right? Like, her, she's going to move back in her house with her mom. He's not going to be as mad at his grandma. like, And that's a character choice that they can make, I guess, but it doesn't necessarily feel momentous well and the book the book ends with his ears were also filled with the voices of others his father and primrose and refrigerator john and his grandmother of course all their words for a thousand years could not fill the hole left by his mother but they could raise a loving fence around it so he didn't keep falling in and that's that's lovely it is like that's a love that's a lovely sentiment but (laughs) it does just feel like you get to the sunrise thing and that's which seems to be the very epiphany. sweet. It it is very sweet. There there are very sweet bits to this book, but it but if you are if you are mapping out its narrative like peaks and valleys, it is just a little too flat like throughout. Okay, like there, sure. There are not enough ups and downs, and then when things like suddenly get better here at the end, I guess you could. If you were going to be really charitable, you could say, okay, a nine-year-old is not paying attention to all this stuff, and so he's just going to notice that his dad is suddenly around more than he was yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, for the rest of the book to, to work, he does have to be like a precociously, emotionally intelligent nine-year-old. Oh, sure. For, so the, for that's any attention. of the other stuff. Okay, to, that's attention. Yeah. 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 Um, I found some reviews on the Common Sense Media website. This will probably take us home, I think, that were from kids, uh, which Ooh. is a section I didn't know existed. <laughs> these, um, these kids just hatch out of the eggs themselves. So the the general Common Sense Media thing was like, it's a pretty easygoing book. Uh, the central metaphor will be interesting for kids to talk. You didn't tell me why you think it's called eggs, other than the fact that there are eggs in the book. 
So there's the Easter egg hunt, yeah. right? And then there are the eggs that Primrose's little house gets yeah. egged with. Uh-huh. It's funny how egged is the verb and the noun noun in that one. Yeah. Uh, they also, when they watch the sunrise... It looks like an egg. Um, he opened his eyes and followed the river to the crown of the rising sun. It was crisp and sharp and beautiful and smooth as a painted egg. Did you find the eggs to be a metaphor for anything? Growing, changing... Breaking open man, your just, shell. I don't know, man. Just eggs. Great. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> Probably selling it short. <laughs> but it does kind of feel like, I mean, the book had to be called something. And maybe he came up with the mm, name like after. Like as he was as he was outlining the book or something. Oh, sure. And then and then by the time the published version happened, like the egg thing just wasn't as prevalent or relevant as it was originally. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to share some of these reviews with you. Um, this is from a four-star review from an 11-year-old kid. Uh, I absolutely love Jerry Spinelli, and I think that Eggs is a great story. It's heartwarming. I gave this book a role model concern because a kid has to be old enough to know what's good from what's bad, such as everything that the kids rebel against. Kids need to know that that isn't good, otherwise excellent story. Uh, here's- Egg, excellent. Here's four stars from a nine-year-old. In the beginning, you think it's going to be creepy. When you read more, you will fall in love with the book. What was was there anything creepy about this book? I mean, I guess you could say that they spend a lot of time outside in the dark. And okay, then there's like all the worm stuff. Oh, sure. Refrigerator John tells them if you snap a nightcrawler in half, that the butt end will grow a new head and the head end will grow a new butt. And so I guess that's kind of creepy. Okay. Uh, here's a one-star review from a 15-year-old. I hated it. Sorry for those who didn't like it. Uh, frowny face. That's no. a rough one. Yeah, that's, that's a... Uh, that one, hmm, egg puns. Hmm. Three-star reviews from a 13-year-old. I didn't. I don't think this book was Jerry Spinelli's best. It didn't have very much action in it and got kind of boring at parts. I think it had some interesting parts that are worth reading, and the plot was interesting, but I think his other books, Stargirl and Loser, were better. If you are looking for an easier, less action-packed read, then this is a good choice. Um, yeah, that is that is a an organic Cage free farm fresh review is what that is, and I'll close out on a That's really a good one. I'll, I'll close out on a grade A, extra large egg five star <laughs> review. This book is very good to read. I always would love Jerry Spinelli's books anyway because he's my favorite author. His books are always so unique and heartwarming, and usually include a rebel, which. <laughs> Ooh, a rebel. I would love if he would start to make more books. This one is one of my favorites, though. I love, well, they said his name is Daniel, but his name's David. I love how Daniel's heart hardens because his mother died, and he never wants to see the sunrise that are. It's so sweet. And at the end, uh, when he watches it with Primrose, oh, my God, that made me tear up a little. So that's a, that's someone who loved this book. But they did get David's name wrong, so maybe they didn't love it as much as they think. Well, I mean, the, they are just kind of D. They're both D names. Yeah. They're not that distinct i guess and a goodreads review i i didn't share talked a little bit about the characters like having kind of quirks and characteristics but not really feeling fully fleshed out which yeah, seems yeah, like yeah, it yeah. was your experience as well yeah that that I, I would agree with that well thank you for bringing that whole carton of reviews to this to this podcast no problem um it, andrew what's your favorite way to eat eggs let's close it out here <sighs> with my mouth oh geez I love eggs, Benny, but I also love a soft-boiled egg. I gotta have a runny yolk, I guess. I love a runny yolk. Okay. I uh, my favorite egg currently is a soft-boiled egg in some ramen. Yeah, you gotta have them soaked in that like juice. You just you know that juice, that brown, you know the brown juice. Yeah, <laughs> the salt and stuff that is in there. To yes. make the ramen I will. Taste like I ramen. will. I will order a bowl of ramen that has one of those eggs in it already, and I will tell them, "Could you add an egg for me <laughs> so I get two eggs?" <laughs> I just been cracking eggs and ramen at home. Turns out you can do that too. How do you get the brown? It doesn't have the brown, but it's just in there. Oh, you just eat it. You just have an egg. Yeah. Well, you just crack a raw egg into there, Heck and it yeah. like cooks itself a little yes, bit. Yes, it does. Hmm. Get on it, bud. 
Wow, you bi- you this bi- is you build a little you build a little bed with the ramen. You take a you yeah, take yeah, a yeah. cheap ramen packet. You just crack it and you put it in there, mm-hmm. and then you you just put the egg on it like a little egg bed, and then it just mm-hmm. kind of boils. You just lay the egg to sleep, and then you go s- sleep, little egg. I'll eat you later, little egg. I'll eat you later, little egg. And by later, I mean in like two minutes when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. Wow, that's that is exactly what I was. Hoping to learn from this podcast is more egg preparations. Thanks for telling me about this book. You're welcome. That's all I got. Anyway, if folks want to tell <laughs> us about their egg recipes, they can send them to us at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at overduepod to talk about eggs. Thanks to folks who were shouting out. Yeah, so last week Andrew was like, yo, tell us about your time loop stories. And we got a bunch of folks. Uh, including Yeti, Toby, Greg, Eric, Francisca, Eliana, Rob, Lucas, Matt, Mitch, Emily, Kirk, Graham, Liam, Gloria, Tom, Rebecca, Adam, and more, telling us what story they would center on a character as a time loop narrative. I want to hear about your favorite eggs. Yeah, this week, tell us what kind of eggs you like and why. What's your fa- What kind of eggs keep you up at night, but in like a good way, not a scary way? Tell us about your favorite book that features eggs, which is definitely a whole website that I read earlier. You can't, and you are not allowed to pick eggs by Jerry Spinelli because one, that one's already taken, and two, eggs are not do not factor in <laughs> super prominently, as we've discussed. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Just go to overduepodcast.com. It's our internet website. Up there, we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google, our RSS feed. We're also available on Stitcher and Spotify and anywhere else you get fine podcasts. Uh, we have a new listener page that you can use to discover new episodes that we are particularly proud of. We have also got a Patreon link, patreon.com slash overduepod. If you kick us a little bit of money, and we understand if you can't because times are harder right now. But if you do that, you do get bonus episodes a little bit early, but if you can't do that, like we record nothing for the Patreon that does not eventually make it out to, to everybody. So, you know, you might have to wait a little bit to get your eggs, but we're always going to serve them to you. Speaking of, we will be doing our bonus episode for the month of August on the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. That will be uh, a Patreon. Two animals, the hatch from eggs. That will be a Patreon <laughs> bonus episode. Patrons of some level will get to record it with us. Patrons of the next level down will get to get it early, and then the rest of you will get it after that. And if you haven't gone back and listened to our Genie Babies episodes, they did hit the main feed, episodes one and two. Go check that out. Thanks to Nick Larangis for our theme song. I'm going to be reading uh, Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith next week. And on a scale from one to ten, would you, like... How much do you think that book will have to do with eggs? Can you rate that on an egg scale for me? Well, are we still considering acorns a type of egg at this point? Yes. So like a four and a half? I bet there's an acorn in that book somewhere. Yeah, I bet. Okay. The listing on our website still has a third E in tree, by the way. I just want to let you know that that's still happening. That's a little Easter egg for the real fans. A, a, a tree grows in Brooklyn. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast about eggs. Until we talk to you next time, try to be happy. Or eggs. That was a HeadGum Podcast.